This episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands is brought to you by Fucked Up. Frontier Touring are thrilled to announce the return of roaring Toronto six-piece Fucked Up, who are heading to Australia for the first time since 2015 the three exclusive headlining shows this October. The Toronto band are one of the most momentous, heavy-lifting acts on the planet. The Polaris Prize-winning band returned to our shores in support of their colossal fifth album, Dose Your Dreams. They'll be playing at the Corner Hotel in Melbourne on Wednesday the 9th of October, the Oxford Art Factory in Sydney on Thursday the 10th of October, and Crowbar in Brisbane on Saturday the 12th of October. And thanks to our friends over at Frontier Touring, all my friends are in bar bands are giving away a double pass to a show of your choice. All you have to do is email barbandspod at gmail.com with your name, your phone number, which show you would like to attend, and your favourite episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. That's it. Just email barbandspod at gmail.com with your name, your phone number, your favourite episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands, and the show you would like to attend out of, once again, the Corner Hotel in Melbourne on the 9th of October, the Oxford Art Factory on the 10th of October, and Crowbar Brisbane on Saturday the 12th of October. Fucked up. Coming real fucking soon. This episode of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands was recorded on the land of the gadigal Wongo people of the Eora Nation. We pay our respects to elders past and present, and we acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and this always was, always will be, Aboriginal land. Enjoy the episode. It's David Jim Chung here for another week of All My Friends Are In Bar Bands. How are you? Thank you so much for tuning in and checking this out. I really, really appreciate it. I am really looking forward to a huge weekend coming up. We have the King Street Crawl happening this weekend, and there are a bunch of previous guests and friends of the show that are going to be performing all throughout Sunday. So if you're around, make sure to check them all out. Rave Tapes, The Boys, Genesis, Owusu, Towns, Straight Arrows, Chemical Restraint, Shady Nasty, Loose Fit. Rachel Maria Cox will be doing a DJ set. Scabs are playing about five times across the entire day. And maybe even a very recent guest of the show uh, will be performing. You'll have to head along and find out for yourself. On that note, however, this week's guest will also be performing this weekend at the King Street Crawl at the Duke Hotel. His name is Brent Griffin, but you know him as Spod. Spod has been entertaining, weeding out, and freaking out the masses for something like 20 years now. It's gone from being a full band ensemble to a duo, right back to a one-man band and everything in between... 
and it is one of the strangest, most weird and wonderful things you will ever get to experience live. It's borderline performance art. It's really quite something. I adore Spod. Uh, I've been friends with Brent for a few years. I missed him back in his uh, 2000s heyday. Unfortunately, I was too young uh, to know him back then. But uh, in his 2010s resurgence, uh, we bonded and became friends, started hanging out a little bit. I don't see him as much now that he's moved to Melbourne, but... Every time he's in Sydney, I make a point of trying to catch up, and that is where this comes into play. Uh, prior to premiering uh, the VHS special of his latest album, Adult Fantasy. Yes, that's right. He released a TV special exclusively on VHS. That's a real thing that actually happened. You can actually buy the VHS tape of Spod's special, Adult Fantasy. I highly recommend it. Uh, So he premiered that at the Golden Age Cinema in Sydney. But before that, we pulled up a pew at a nearby pub and we talked about everything. We talked about the most hellacious tour he'd been on, uh, some of the best times of his career, and uh, the adaptation and evolution of Spod as a character and a performance piece indeed. I want to give a huge thank you to Jules over at Rice's Nice for helping to set this one up. I really, really do appreciate it. She's a wonderful woman, and Rice's Nice are an incredible label. So stoked to be working with them and uh, have them as part of the Bar Bands family. Much, much love to Jules and to Viv as well. And as always, want to give a big thank you to Mr. Adam Buncher for helping with the audio on this one. All right, before we get into it, As always, I just want to let you know, if you are enjoying what you're hearing, I would really love it if you could help us out by maybe leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Uh, Just even a rating would be great. And of course, subscribing wherever you get your podcasts from. We are just about everywhere you can think of. We are on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, everywhere else. Just type bar bands into your podcast app of choice and we'll be there we will always be there for you and of course if you do have some money lying around and you would like to help support this podcast and keep it going as well as all of my other projects then consider supporting me on patreon for as little as one dollar a month you get access to bonus content behind the scenes stuff playlists everything. Uh, There's a bunch of cool shit and uh, yeah, I'm working on uh, getting more and more stuff up there as uh, the project develops. So if you are interested, we'd absolutely love to have you on board. So head over to patreon.com slash David James Young to find out more about that. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash David James Young. Alright, uh, one last thing, if you'd like to get in touch, you can do so by emailing me at barbandspod at gmail.com. That's B-A-R-B-A-N-D-S-P-O-D at gmail.com. Funnily enough, uh, when I first got that email address, a friend of mine joked that uh, it sounded like an unexpected duo, like a little old lady teaming up with Spod, uh, and they were going to be called Barb and Spod, and that would be their email address, barbandspod at gmail.com. And I told that person, oh man, that would be hilarious. Spod is a dream guest of mine. I would love to have him on. And then, look what happened. Four years later, it finally fucking happened. So let's cross to my dream guest, 
the wonderful Mr. Brent Griffin, a.k.a. Spod. Hi. That's you. Yeah, hi. I didn't know if there was more to come. No, I'm, I'm just introducing people to the man, the myth, the legend. Yeah, it's about the time. Great, the great man. Yeah. The man of the hour. I'm not going to dispute any of this. <laughs> it's all true. <laughs> he's, uh, he's, he's truly one of the greats and we are, we are honoured to, to have him here uh, generating a bit of content with us today. Love it. Love generating content. Yeah, getting, mate. Getting hits. Smashing. All smashing. that stuff. Do we copy uh, Do the um, uh, comment below, subscribe, and like. Yeah, yeah. Huh? Get all that shit done. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Loud it. Oh, thanks. It's Saturday afternoon, and we are in Surrey Hills in Sydney, and Spod is here on a covert mission to share the good news. Spot is back. I'm back, baby. Yeah, yeah. For, the vengeance. For as long as I can handle it, I'm back. <laughs> <laughs> so... Very up in the air. Yeah, yeah. I'm, 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 I might, I might be back for like a couple of weeks. Might be a couple of years. Who knows? As long as you, as long as you're here right now in this very moment. That's it. It's that's all about today. Uh, there is a new album, which is the first album, new album in what, 16 years. Yeah, about 16, 18, 20 years, something Who's like counting? that. No one's counting. No one's. Counting. Luckily, no one's counting. <laughs> <laughs> or unluckily. Uh, and to go with that, uh, there is an accompanying short film. There is. Did and you direct that? Not really, no. Because someone else directed it. Ah, well that yeah. would be happy. Yeah. Uh, did you kind of add on some extra roles for yourself, like executive producer? I, uh, I think I pretended I was directing it, but there was someone much more capable than me at the helm, which is Alex Smith. How did that come about? Well, we've been friends for a while, and I've been waiting for the right time to force him into doing something for me because he's a genius, and this was the right time. And so, like, we sort of had the opportunity. I was in Sydney for a DZ shoot. Yeah, we just had the opportunity to be in the same place, same time, and it was the right timing. And I've wanted to do this video. So what the video is, to just roughly outline it, is my album, Adult Fantasy. It's a full live performance of that album. And so I've wanted to do it for a while, and then he was available, I was available. We had all the camera gear from the DZ stuff all out and operating, so bloody rolled straight into it and cracked it out. But yeah, so it was like a live a live video shot live to tape, edited live. So I wanted it to be like, you know, like the heyday of like, hey, hey, it's Saturday, and the Don Lane show and Bert Newton show, things that many people don't remember i love <laughs> so like you know live in the studio and then just hang on for dear life and because we don't run a tv studio all the time it's actually very hard to do yeah I and imagine. you can watch all that play out in live real time video on the adult fantasy tv special hell yeah yeah, yeah. pretty exciting it's, it's pretty, pretty good. exciting yeah no one's done it releasing my album on vhs because i'm a maniac 
Why not? Why not? Where do you find VHS in 2019? Well, there's a guy who makes them still. Really? The guy who sells them in Melbourne, yeah. Cassette and tape supplies. Cats, funnily enough. Very handy. Yeah. And so I get all my... Because I'm... Is a Luddite a person? Well, I'm not a Luddite because I'm into technology. Yeah, but just... everything I make stuff technology. on is fucking old. Yeah. So, like, you know, nothing in my stu- my music studio, besides from my computer and computer interface, is past about 92. Yeah. Everything we shot the video on was, like, old 70s Valve cameras and, you know, old mixes and stuff. Yeah. So it's all all very out of time. It's very nice. You've got to smear some dirt on stuff too. Yeah. Yeah, I'm set with the world a little bit. Oh, mate, HD's the worst thing that ever happened. <laughs> oh, it looks so real. Oh. So? Yeah. <laughs> you can just go outside. Go outside and watch a plane crash, you fucking idiot. You know? <laughs> holy holy oh, smokes. I'd love to watch that in 720. Yeah. Oh, mate. Give me all the fucking... Stay in the 4K. Oh, mate, give me, give me that... Uh, Give me all the frame rate, the yeah. highest frame rate you can muster on that one. Yeah. No thanks. Blu-ray. Mate, I tell you what, you just um, you pop on like an old VHS tape. This is magic in there. It really is. You gotta lose, you gotta lose the details in the shadows to to fun. lose yourself into the majesty of life. I think. I agree. I hmm. agree. Frank, do you remember the first time that we met? Oh God, no. You don't. I don't. I, I might if you remind me, but. So this was at a festival uh, called the Blurst of Times. Well, that first time. Uh, so we had a couple of interactions on Twitter, I think, but that was the first time we properly met. Right. I think I knew you for longer than that because I'd see you out at shows and stuff. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty easy to see. Yeah, I don't know if anyone's ever mon- mentioned that to you. Yeah. yeah, it's never come up, surprisingly, <laughs> in 130-plus episodes of doing this. Yeah, well, no one's ever mentioned it. Yeah, you don't go to shows, so... Yeah, this is true. You don't walk the walk, mate. <laughs> Disappointed. But it was that day that uh, it was kind of a baptism by fire that uh, I got pulled in to be part of uh, what was a tradition for a little while, the Boys Night Choir. Yeah. So it was me, and it was Adam Lewis, mm-hmm. and it was Ryan Saar, and it was Jeremy Neal, who was doing a solo show and Velociraptor that day. Yeah. And maybe, like, one or two other people that I can't remember. Yeah. But, um... It was quite quite the boikestra, that yeah. one. It was, it, was a, it was a hefty, hefty load. Was it because that was a factory, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I think you were in the yeah, re- fuse box upstairs. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember that vividly. Yeah. yeah. There you a, go. That was a good time. It was a very good time. Some might say even the best of times. <laughs> Some might say the worst of times. <laughs> Look at us doing promo for a festival that doesn't exist. <laughs> Get your tickets now, guys. <laughs> It's my life, Prom- promoting things from the past that yeah, are gone. That's it. Someone asked me, uh, why, do you, why do you keep all these old laminates? I'm just like, well, there might be a chance that I have to get into Come Together 2010 again. So. <laughs> That's it. You never know. Boy, things are going. Exactly. Might end up right in the middle of 2004. <laughs> I need to get into the big day out. Like, Play a show. Please. It's yeah. just like, oh, oh. <laughs> I did. I was saving all my laminates for quite a while, but I couldn't tell you where they are. But I'm sure I still have them. Oh yeah, you were Mister Lanyard for a oh, while. Oh mate, I just rock out of the house full covered in lanyards. Everyone's like, "Oh, what? Here he comes! Here's a shuffles of plastic coming down the street." 
Mr. Lanyards. That's him. The, yep. the great man himself. Get into any gig. <laughs> oh, mate, you just could walk in. He was a gig man. They're not even bothering looking at him. Nah. And just like, Jesus. They hear the Christ. plastic rustling in there. <laughs> they're like, just open the door. And you don't even clock them. It's nah. just, I've got places to be. Oh, mate, I've, 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 got, I've got a two is old to drink at that bar. <laughs> Let me in. Fuck out of my way. Out of my way. <laughs> Yeah. Oh dear. So, so I begin these by tracing back the initial interest in music, specifically where it came from being something that maybe you're watching on TV, listening to on the radio, etc., to being something where it's just like, this is what I want to do. I want to sing, I want to play instruments, I want to be in a band, I want to make music. Mm. Uh, so, can you tell me a bit about how music kind of factored into your childhood and your upbringing? Yeah, sure. Well, it sort of, I remember it sort of starting to click with me when my sisters would be playing records out in our garage. So they'd have friends over and they'd like smoke ciggies and shit. And they'd like put on Fleetwood Mac and Meatloaf. And more than anything, it just terrified me. I was like, really? well, the cover of Bat Out of Hell to like oh, a seven year old boy is fucked. But like, yeah, there was something intriguing about it. But like, and also like, what is it? What's that Fleetwood Mac record? Dreams, whatever the big one. Oh, rumors. Rumors, yeah. Dreams, rumors, same shit. But Dreams like, is on the album. Yeah, right. Same plus. Yeah. This is some memories in here. <laughs> but that that album used to be quite spooky to me, and I kind of was enthralled by it. And they're kind of like the first instances I can remember of going, being intrigued by music. And also radiators. The radiators give me head. Oh hell yeah! That like my sisters. I was like, what does what does give me head mean to my sisters? Oh boy! And I remember they sat me down on the couch. It was like my sister and one of her best friends. So they would have been like thirteen, maybe, and I would have been like seven or something. And then they were so embarrassed, but you know they for some reason still wanted to tell me. They would say one would say one word and the other would say the other. So it was like it's when. A, and then I'm not sure if they ever told me what it meant because I'll just have giggling bits. But I remember thinking, like, that's pretty terrifying. Mm. So I was just terrified of music for quite a while. And then I can't really remember when I wanted to start playing, but I didn't really start playing at all until I left high school. Yeah, right. So I was like a massive music fan through so you, high school. Oh, but so you stopped being scared of music yeah. at some point? Well, I, I think I, I enjoyed being scared of music because I got really into gangster rap and stuff. Oh, like, hell yeah. yeah. Ghetto Boys' first record. Like, oh, shit. One of the most disgusting and hilarious records ever made. <laughs> and like, I, I was really attracted to all that sort of stuff. Like, you know, before that, I was very into like Love Over Gold by Dire Straits. That was one of the first records that I got. And I was like, this is my shit. And I would have been in, like, year five. Like, that's a very strange thing for a, a kid in primary school to vibe on, but I really liked it. So I was, like, into that kind of soft rock thing. But then, yeah, I hit high school, got shown Black Flag, got shown Descendants. Like, there was this mixtape that every kid in year seven got, which was yeah, from my yeah. friend Robert's cousin. Mm-hmm. And he was, like, in bands with the guys from the hard-ons and stuff. Oh, true, yeah, right. And they were, like, gods at that time. Mm. So we used to collect hard-ons, geek posters and shit. Like, um... Yeah, and he would, like, somehow get Black Flag gig posters and photocopy them for us. And yeah, yeah. He would just feed us all, just all this amazing punk rock stuff. Gangrene and DRI, The Exploited, all that sort of stuff. So I was obsessed with all that three years seven. And then hip-hop hit. So that was, like, you know, Public Enemy... Like, Yo Bum Rush, The Show, Ice-T, Ryan Pays, Power, all that kind of stuff. Like, mm. very early kind of, like, political and gangster rap stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And yeah, I remember like getting iced tea power and driving home. Like I got on vinyl from Kmart when Kmart used to have vinyl. Oh man! We got Ice T Power and um, Beastie Boys license to Will from Kmart. Yes. From the top twenty section in the front, which is yeah, yeah, yeah. pretty crazy now. Yeah, I remember like driving down the street and my friends were all like, you know, because you couldn't access music back then unless you went and bought it. And then I'm um, also on major tape. I remember just holding it up out of the window and my friends were skating on my street and they just like pelted after the car and we all like went into my garage and put the record on and we're all just like what the hell is going to be on this like it was like a key to an unknown dimension you know yeah i remember just putting that on we just listened to that over and over and looked at the cover because it had his um wife on it in a bikini with a shotgun you could turn it over and see a bum and so we thought that was pretty exciting didn't really understand it And then, yeah, West Pennant Hills, northwest yeah. of Sydney. Right, right. It was pretty quiet out there at the, in those days. It was lot, quite rural. So we were in this area that was kind of like a development. It was kind of like on the halfway between like farmland and suburbia. Yeah. And so it was pretty ridiculous. It was a ridiculous place to grow up. There were horses around and the bush. And it was really great. So, yeah, it was cool. And then just basically obsessed with hip-hop throughout all high school. Yeah. And still, like, yeah, hip-hop and punk and stuff. And then, like, Nirvana and stuff hit. And I just thought, this, all this stuff sucks. <laughs> this will never go anywhere. This will never go anywhere. Or there were uh, other kids in the school who were like, nah, Nirvana and Pearl Jam are sick. And I'm like, Nirvana aren't bad, but Pearl Jam will never be good. <laughs> Fucking look at me now. Stand by it. <laughs> Gavin Yule, you can suck it, mate. Oh. Yeah, calling you out, bro. Classic. But, um, and yeah, like we'll be at parties and I'll have the rap tape and they'll have like the rock tape and they'll put on the rock and I'll put on the rap and throw their tape in the bush. And... Yeah, but I think I was a bit more scared of them, so I, that, was, that would end up winning up. They seemed a bit tougher than I am. So. Do you feel like having like a quasi isolated kind of upbringing, like, you know, not like a stone throw away from the city or anything like that, do you feel like? Having that, you and your friends had more of a hunger and association for music as it's just like the recorded stuff and like whatever you saw on TV and on the radio and stuff like that. That's your only lifeline. Mm. That's the only way you can really access that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's it. Like, and it was a really small group of kids at school who gave a shit. Yeah. So we're all like, we're all skateboarders. And just all the skateboarders were the guys into music, really. Mm. So, yeah, it was quite an isolated. Well, it wasn't isolated, but it was, yeah. Like, the city was just somewhere you might go to skateboard on a weekend, but you'd yeah. just be terrified of it. Like, yeah. And I held that kind of feeling up until I was, like, almost in my 20s when my friends started moving to the city and I resented them almost. Yeah. So I'm like, why are you turning your back on here? Because, like, you have that regional kind of pride where you think, oh, this is all I need, this is all I need. And then anyone who leaves that, you think, oh, you think you're too good for everyone else now? Yeah. And I can remember having that feeling, and now I look at people doing that, and I'm kind of like, I understand it, but it sucks. Yeah. But it's, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it was kind of, it was just an outlet, like anyone who grew up in kind of weird suburbs away from the city. It was just, like, the outlet that made you feel like you were different from all the dogs playing footy. When did you first up an instrument like did you take piano lessons on guitar like what was your well it was Ween's Push A Little Daisies yeah right so I heard that and I'm like fuck I reckon I could make music like that 
like that kind of democratized the idea of music making to me because I, you know they recorded on a four track it sounded approachable yeah you know it took me a few years to figure out oh no they're geniuses and I'm an idiot <laughs> <laughs> they're incredible musicians and songwriters yeah yeah but just like the open sort of nature and rough nature of how they would record and release music around like the early records up to Pure Guava so hearing that on the radio I was like fuck and also Beck's Loser oh true yeah you know like just loose like half hip hop half folk music yeah 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 and I was like really I was getting into Bob Dylan and that sort of stuff and that would have been when I first left high school and then I'd just meet my friend Mike just he bought I bought a guitar and he bought a bass I think and then we swapped so I and then we um, he borrowed a drum machine and a four track from his school because I think he went straight to uni and I went to work yeah and then yeah, we just sort of sat down and tried to be wean, and I think I'm, that's all I'm still doing, yeah. <laughs> to be honest. And then we were just like, all right, we'll just. And then we moved out together, and just uh, his grandma died, so we took over her house for a couple of years. Yeah, that. So it was like rent free, you know, could have a low paying job and just spend all our money on gear and just try and learn how to play music. And he'll go off to uni and sort of have you know, weekends at uni and having fun times and I'll just be at home alone going, all right, well, I'll learn how to use this four-track better, I'll learn how to program the drum machine. And yeah, yeah. Just got lost in that. Just sort of lived in... That's, we lived in Epping at that time. Right. You know, it's pretty easy to get to the city and then that started getting me to the city to seeing more shows and going to the Hopeton and stuff. And then that sort of opened up my world into, like, a new friend circle. And, but that's, yeah, we started Spot then. Right. So you didn't have any other bands or anything else before Spot? No, a band called Dirtbike. Oh, sick. Which is like a drum machine, bass and guitar metal band. Right. Yeah. And so that would that went much better than Spot did. Because I was too embarrassed to Spot. And so we'd like fucking have shorts down or you know, ankles at like a full fucking mid nineties skater idiot look. Classic. And yeah, play like the Iron Duke and all that kind of stuff. Remember the first time you played live? No, I remember the first Spod gig. I don't really remember dirt bike gigs very well, but we played a bunch of them first. But yeah, that was like pretty loud and full on, like this. And if you can remember, were you really there? Yeah, that's it. Spod, I think I was so scared of the Spod gig, I can remember it too clearly. Yeah. But we bought these stupid helmets with visors so we could put them over our eyes so we didn't have to look at anyone. And then, um, Put all of our beats and stuff onto a. I bought like a DAT machine. Spent like two thousand dollars on a DAT machine when I should have spent it on an MPC or something, but I didn't know that at the time. And we'll just record to a four-track, put it onto the DAT machine, and then go do shows. Yeah. So this one show, it was at the Lansdowne. And it's like that place has shifted so much. Yeah. But it's like at the Lansdowne, down sort of stair, downstairs. And they were like um, all these, and I think it was like a uni night or something. So quite a few people there. Right. And then we're just doing. Our, it was you know, pretty weird, and we were just terrified. So we kind of got hard. Yeah, no, I think we made it through the show. But yeah, we just had these helmets that totally covered our face, so no one could see us. That's the only way we could do it. <laughs> so Spot was more of a band for the first year, like seven years because we started probably around 90, 93 I think was like 95 I think is when we put out our first tape how different was 
uh, like that era of Spud to what it ended up baking. I think like, spiritually it's exactly the same. Like yeah. it was just us being idiots, really, <laughs> and trying as hard as we can to make really good music, but like um, just trying to make each other laugh and just trying to figure out sort of how to play songs that were in our head and stuff. Yeah. But it was like, yeah, it was all pretty, pretty silly. It was all just done to entertain ourselves, really, because we never thought we would ever do anything like anyone would ever hear it. Yeah. It was never really sort of thought like that yeah. until we sort of got to a point and started playing yeah, a few shows, and we're like, oh, people seem to like it, so we sort of played more, but it was like, yeah, very much more sort of like we didn't have synths or anything. We just had a drum machine. So we'll try and do synth sounds on the guitar, and we still wanted to be sounding kind of electronic, sort of halfway between hip hop and rock, which is a dirty place to be. <laughs> so there's some embarrassing moments, but yeah, we'll sort of play guitar and bass over a backing track and that kind of stuff. Yeah. And then um, didn't understand how to use MIDI or anything until like ten years later. <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, I bought a sampler and I bought like an Atari ST. So, like, what happened, Mike ended up becoming a teacher and moving to Newcastle. Yeah, right. And so that was just going to be the end of Spod. And then I decided... Well, I think... Because Andy Clockwise was playing drums for us at that time. Oh, sure, yeah. He was Mike's girlfriend's little brother. Right. So he would come over on school holidays when he was, like, 14, and we'd just get drunk with him. Because he was, like, an old man. like, <laughs> And he's an incredible... He was an incredible musician at that age. So he would show us how to play guitar properly and he would play drums and we recorded like a few records and like or tapes or whatever. So it was all kind of band focused and stuff. And then yeah, when Mike left, Spud just thought that was it for Spud. And then Andy was like, you should just keep doing sort of your songs and stuff off the backing track. And I was like, may as well. So that would have been like 98 or 99 maybe. Then I just sort of started plugging at it until I sort of got to doing Taste of Radness, which is when I bought my Atari ST and the sampler. Do you feel like Spod had kind of developed as like a character? Like, do you feel like there's like a persona that you portray on stage? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's a, it's a dude. It's someone. <laughs> it is me, but it's like a very definite part of me, I think. Yeah. But it's funny, because I can remember when he left, like, Spod was a band. It's like... I don't know, the Thirsty Merc guy calling himself Thirsty Merc. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's like, it's a weird reference. I don't know why he came to my head. But yeah, so at first it was a bit weird to me, but everyone will call me Spud anyway. Yeah. And then I'm just like, oh, fuck it, that's my, that'll be my thing. I'll be my persona I can sink into. And I like the idea, you know, like, Ween were like Gene and Dean Ween, bands that would take on some kind of persona. And also it's like a confidence thing. Being sort of like, yeah, being sort of too scared to put your own name against it, almost. Because yeah. it's like, yeah, and we are like, we're going through a period where we love the Frogs. Remember that band? It's like super offensive, like deliberately just trying to be the most offensive band in the world. But at the same time, being incredible songwriters. And so we loved the Frogs. So yeah, there's some dubious shit in our past yeah. that like we thought was really funny at the time. It's like, oh. I'm going to have to burn those tapes. Yeah. <laughs> sort of, I was already too old to be doing that shit. Yeah. <laughs> Get yourself cancelled. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty dumb. But, you know, it was like in growing up on gangster rap and all that, I saw, you know, I understood 
that Ice-T and Ice-Cube, all the NWA guys, like, and Ghetto Boys, I understood that was, like, they were all persona-based. Like, no one's like that. And if they were, they wouldn't have it together enough to be a professional rapper. So I just found gangster rap and all that sort of horror rap stuff endlessly hilarious. Like most suburban white dudes, because I had no direct correlation to it. Yeah, sure. But then also you know eye-opening from sort of a political aspect with like public enemy and paris and all those kind of goods so but yeah so and all that like you know flavor flav like he was in one of the most political rap groups in the world and he's the biggest idiot <laughs> and i'm like well the public enemy can have an idiot in their band i can be an idiot as a band you know everyone in the band is flavor yeah yeah i was like 80 percent flavor flav and 20 percent chuck d in the sws right. yeah <laughs> what do you remember in particular about that era of music in, in Sydney that kind of late 90s early 2000s kind of scene because you look at what's going on you know even in the last couple of years in, in Sydney it's you know, pretty starkly different to that whole community yeah right back then it was very much like I guess like anything when you're outside of it felt like it was quite an insular kind of club yeah so like the Hopeton had a click the Annandale sort of was a big bigger sort of step up so when you're playing shows, getting in just to play a show seemed impossible. Yeah. Until you go and meet a few bands and you know, convince them to get on their bills. And it was very, like, sort of post-rocky. That late 90s Sydney sort of vibe was, like, super quiet. Like, bands sort of tinkering, like, Sea Life Park and stuff. Like, really beautiful, slow things. And everyone would be sitting on the ground. and That was kind of the general vibe of, like... Indie, you know, there'd be a lot, rock, like rock bands as well, but most of the stuff that was going on was pretty gentle stuff. Yeah. And he used to spoil the shit out of me yeah. to a degree. Like, I loved it, but then I was also like, I want to go out and get excited about something. Yeah. And so, like, I had, I had a friend's band called, uh, they were Coit at the time, they turned into Further. And they were, like, sort of loud and fun without being full on metal or anything. And then I would get on bills with them and then just run rampant and throw confetti and just be the exact opposite of what everything else was that was going on. And then that sort of got noticed and I got loved and hated in pretty equal measures by the music community. But then that sort of got me in with all the Hope Town guys and I started getting gigs off the back of... Like being vouched for by someone who's kind of in there. I don't know if that exists anymore, but it's still like, you know, it's probably still hard to get a gig when you're first starting, but... But it did really seem like a shut shut door club back then, you know. Do you feel like having the advantage over uh, a band or you know, like any 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 of those kind of guys was just like, okay, well, I'm, what I'm doing is like radically different to what they're doing. Yeah, well, that I knew that no one was well, was nothing, no one doing what I was doing, yeah. and also I knew that I could convince people to let me get on while they were setting up for the next band. Yeah. So, like, someone will play, then I'll just go on after the first band before the second, then go on after the second before the third. Yeah. Then I'm like, well, then I'm getting seen by the whole night. It's worth of people. And I just get up, get five minutes, and just go, bah! and then that's more confusing than doing it for half an hour, you know? And I, was, I, I felt that was an asset. But it was also just, yeah, I'll just do anything anywhere throughout that time. Because I knew that it was, like, convincing someone to put me on a show is pretty hard. 
a serious vibe back then. Sure. But at what point did that kind of change and did things start picking up for the project? Like, you know, there was a while there. I remember, I remember ages ago you posted, I think it might have been your tax return from ages ago, and it was just this run of, like, insane gigs. Right. From, like, 2003, 2004, like, you're playing with, like, Duran Duran and shit. Like yeah. That. And just, you see this whole list, and it's like, there's no fucking way you did that. And yeah. It's like, yeah, no, all of that's real. Yeah. <laughs> I was playing all the time back then. Yeah. That's all I was doing. Yeah, I know, I think it just word sort of grew a bit and just... Yeah, I'm no got easy to get shows. And then, like, because I was doing that solo for a while, and then uh, I got a gig supporting Chili Gonzalez. Oh, sure, yeah. And that was when Feist was a dancer with him and stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. At the Annandale. And I didn't really know much about him, but I, re- I liked Peaches. But two friends of mine were massive fans of him. There's one in, one in particular, and they wanted to come to the show, so, like, if we can dance for you, can we come along I'm like yeah that'd be amazing because I always wanted like my S1Ws or something like some kind of dancing thing yeah yeah but I never thought to put it together and then they sort of you know got outfits together and came up with dance moves and then we were like a trio for like four years yeah right where um maybe longer where like yeah they would just dance and I would sing and do that whole thing and that when that when we were doing that it really sort of picked up it was quite a spectacle. And then from there it grew to I had them and a full band to the point where like we were touring with like nine people. Yeah, wow. Yeah, it was fucking amazing. It was, and we supported Peaches doing that. And, um, and yeah, and we had these outfits, these metal Iron Maiden shirts and like denim shorts. Yeah. And then on her next tour, she had her band all decked out and that stuff. Oh, yeah. And then I went, <laughs> well, I ripped off your music so I'd see you yeah then. yeah you know, <laughs> to touch door actually. yeah it's like yeah no you can you know what fair enough yeah and to be fair she <laughs> don't probably don't even get mad it's just like yeah alright all right. to be fair she probably came up with the metal thing before I did and yeah, I just totally. didn't know about it <laughs> but um no yeah that was a highlight at that time because I loved Peaches so much and still do yeah, like she's. A, it's a. I'm so stoked that she's still going and doing so much cool, weird shit. Yeah, fucking She's amazing. Yeah, but was um, it intimidating to get up in front of an audience that wasn't yours a lot of the time? You know, uh, like throughout that run, you're doing a lot of support stuff. Yeah, you know? like is it is a full-on thing? Like where it's just like these people are paid to see one artist, and you are not that artist. Yeah, <laughs> no, that's I love it. I revel in the hatred of that. Like, I, playing in front of people who like you, there's only, you know, you can please them, but there's a chance you might disappoint them. Yeah. Playing in front of a crowd that isn't yours, it just doesn't matter. If they hate you, it's great. If they love you, it's even better. But like the Duran Duran tour that I was just universally hated. Like, abuse, people telling me they're going to kill me in the car park. Like, pure hatred. And I had a little message board on my website. This is before, like, forums were... Or Mess and Noise was a thing, I think. Or Mono back then. Oh, yeah. But people would come on... After the show, log on to my website and just fucking abuse me. Like, you know... I don't know. It was like 30 people after a show or something, which is a lot. Yeah. Like, man, they, they remembered me. They went to their computer. This is back before people had phones. Yeah. And I thought that was one of the greatest experiences of my life. It was incredible. It's <laughs> like fucking... Duran Duran's road crew hated us. Michael Chug 
liked us. He heard everyone abusing us and stuff, and then he walked up, like, into our dressing room. It was me, me and Andy clockwise. Yeah. He was like, fuck him, I thought you were great. Walked out. I was like, there you go, that's all right. Did Simon Le Bon like it? Oh, no. <laughs> I used his towel. Oh, no. Yeah, and fucking a dude came running, grabbed the towel, and said, there's Simon's towels. I'm like, I don't care. It's a fucking towel. Because <laughs> I was, like, going through all that shit. I was being a brat. Yeah. But who cares? <laughs> <laughs> and then I was, yeah, going out with a girl at the time who was a massive Duran Duran fan. And because it was all going so badly, I was I felt too bad. Or I was too scared to ask if she could meet them because I wasn't, they weren't the biggest fan. Yeah. And I regret that. I should have put my foot down. <laughs> she, she would have really appreciated that. Yeah. Are you still together? No. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it doesn't matter. <laughs> but she's still cool. <laughs> She's, she's super cool and I'm like oh I wish I could have done that for her yeah. but she probably doesn't think about it ever and I always think like man she would have really appreciated that I reckon she was disappointed that I just through what I do completely fucked her one chance to meet him so what other kind of stuff were you doing around that time? like big day out yeah. home bake all that kind of stuff yeah. who else Trans Am supported them and I was a massive fan of them yeah, they were kind of pricks the drummer was really nice but the other two guys were kind of mean well, actually, just a bass player was me. Yeah. Why am I talking shit about people? Oh, who cares? Um, but yeah, he was like, came up and he's like, oh, you were... Oh, yeah, that's when I found out about Hama Superstar. So oh, you know Hama? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, like, uh, he was like, oh, you're a big Hama fan. I'm like, I don't know what that means. He was like, Hama Superstar. I'm like, I don't know. He's like, oh, you should check him out. So I went home and logged on to my dial-up. And saw like fucking, you know, the fucking shorts and all that sort of shit. I was like, what are the fucking odds yeah. that like a dude who shouldn't be trying to be sexy is trying to be sexy on the other side of the world yeah. and being much more successful at it than I am <laughs> and can actually sing? And, and then, also got to do arena tours with people that fucking hated it. Yeah. <laughs> it was like very similar vibe. It's really strange. Because like, you know, Peaches was a really big uh, influence for me, but I had no idea about Hama. But, um, no, uh, at um, Livid Festival, Triple J, they made up like a thing that we had a rivalry. Yeah, right. Because I think people, they, there was a lot of back and forth between uh, I'm ripping off Hama. Yeah. I'm like, I'm not ripping off shit. I didn't know about this dude. And then so they put us on an interview panel together. So I knew who he was. He had no idea who I was, right? Yeah. And like, he's just kind of like baffled as to why we're sitting together. And then, like, I just charm the pants off him because that's what I do. <laughs> yeah. To be fair, his pants were already off. His pants, yeah, his pants are off, but so are mine, so it was even. <laughs> but yeah, and they were trying to get us to jelly wrestle, like, have like a, a, a jelly wrestle off, and it, we were like, why would we ever want to do that? You know, no, 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 not too much shade at Triple J, but they, they would have a lot of bad ideas like that. Yeah, sure. It's like, oh yeah, we want you to jelly wrestle at this fight. Yeah, and it's like, work on the radio. Yeah, I'd li- fucking, I would like to meet him and say hi, but I don't want to fucking get off on the foot of like as if we've got some kind of rivalry when we don't. But anyway, it was corny as hell, and yeah. we had this little interview, and it was fine, and that was it. That was the only run-in. Yeah, we've got a lot of mutual friends and stuff. Sure. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, he's still going, and that's cool. Yeah. He's got a, an amazing voice. There's this whole run where it's, you know, you and this full band and dances and everything like that. When does it shift again, and you, and you revert just back to basics, just you again? Well, it sort of go up and down a bit, because, like, I'll sort of go to do a show, and I'm like, well... It, 
I've like I'll just lose money on shows because yeah. if I got like a good guarantee, I'm like cool, I can spend it on all this crazy yeah. shit. Pay everyone, yeah. yeah, and then it just got to a point where I was like, I can't be losing that much money, so I'd go back to doing solo shows. I'll just go back and forth all the time and confuse the shit out of people who turn up and want to see a band. And then people would turn up and I'll be playing with a band and like we want the dancers and you and. So I got to a point where I think I was just scaring off my entire audience by never being the same thing twice, which is just, I still kind of do that. I don't really see the, I don't have much interest in doing the same thing all the time. But yeah, so I went back to solo, but then I went back to being a full band again with different dancers. So I had like five dancers this time. It was like Katie Fox and Renee Crea. And uh, a bunch of friends that I made at the time around two, uh, 19, uh, 2008. And so uh, we put together another big band with that and then had, like, yeah, all different people on in the band, like Miles Hesker on drums and all that kind of stuff. And then that was, got even bigger and then we started travelling that around and then after that tour, I was just like, yeah, I can't do that again. Yeah. And then basically from then I've just been solo. And Miles Hesker never did anything else anymore. No, just, he just sat around, so... <laughs> I, I helped him out. Yeah, look. Uh, aside from that. <laughs> yeah, it was never successful. Yeah, look. Yeah. <laughs> it was a whole bit. Uh, yeah, I've had some pretty amazing bands. I've been pretty lucky. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It must, be, it must be a good thing to look back at that and, like, see the community that was kind of built around your music. Yeah, but it's also, like, just the friendships that I made in my real life is just all spot. Yeah. You know? So without that, my life would be in a radically different spot. So this whole time, like, Taste of Redness is 2003? Three, yeah. Yeah. And so that whole run, there's, like, next to nothing in terms of, like, recorded material. Like, mm. the whole, that whole time, are you just entirely focusing on Spod, focusing on Spod as a live project, as a performance piece, if you will, rather than, you know, like... The, the regular thing where like a band will like put out an album tour that go back make another album to do that whereas yeah. you it's just tour 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 yeah but it was also because I didn't know what to do because yeah. I, I was like well I did that electro sex thing mm. that's cool that was fun and then I was like thinking what else I wanted to do and I was like doing demos and they were pretty terrible I was like oh you know, because I like I think I should you know in hindsight I should just blast out another record that sounded like that but in my mind, I was like, "Who wants? No one wants to hear that. Like, who, who gives a shit?" And then um, I did put out an EP that I recorded with Quan. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, that was a spot EP called Eternal Champions. So that was like, I had my backing band, Black Level Embassy, at the time, who were like a really heavy band. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I recorded with them a bunch of songs, did a bunch of songs which were sort of left off Taste of Radness, and made this EP. And then me and Quan around the time. I did my next record, Super Friends. Me and Kwan did an EP called Blocks, which is just like a rap EP thing. Yeah. Which is good. But yeah, like... Have you played with the Gertrude Tatum? Yeah, I've been touring with them heaps. So like, um, they were really generous and put me in front of a lot of people. And I got a lot of fans from that, which is really good. I don't know, it's like... Uh, I didn't, yeah, just know... I didn't, Ned didn't have a definite direction where I wanted to go until that Super Friends record where I wanted to just do, like, a ridiculous, overproduced kind of anything-goes record. Because I'd learn how to mix and all that. Because I was basically... That first record, I didn't know 
how to mix or anything. Yeah. So I've got John Gardner, who was like, he does Empire of the Sun sound these days yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So he mixed it for me on all Juan's gear. And I just, you know, basically had, yeah, one sampler, an Atari drum machine, an Atari sequencer and a drum machine, and that was it. And yeah, made the whole first record on that. And then, yeah, spent like six, seven years just learning how to do my own stuff, bought a good computer. And yeah, made that next record. So to me, it seemed like it was quite quick. It was like seven year gap or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's eight months? No, like five. So yeah, and now it's like been even longer. Yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. like, yeah. What's a rush? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's funny to think this record I've just put out, I recorded in 2011, which is yeah, only three years after that first record. But it feels brand new now yeah. to me. Like, it's really strange. I've sat with these songs for... But it was all about being an adult and growing up and getting old and stuff. Yeah. And so it didn't feel right to put it out. And now it does. I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, this is good. But it's, like, also just... I don't know. I can only do things when I feel it's right, you yeah. know? I, it's not exactly a uh, financial career I'm chasing. It's more of a satisfaction career. Yeah. And so... And knowing that, you know, I can kind of do whatever I want, that's that's all that really interests me now. Yeah. Like just seeing what I can do and you know how much I can fuck around with yeah. stuff. Well, I think Spot the persona again changed. You know, we talked about that transition from the band to the solo thing, and then the band then from a solo thing to like more of a full band thing, and then I think in the 2010s it's kind of shifted again, mm. where you know there's threads of what you were doing previously, but you know it, you've, you've developed. A fairly new character, and a lot of the people that have been coming to see you in the last few years, like either were too young or maybe weren't even born. Like back when you were doing some of the earlier stuff, like yeah. how have you found that transitional period for for the project? And it's like uh, again, performing this, this this new era of of spot. Yeah, well, I kind of I really I felt in my core that I couldn't be doing the same those sort of same sort of songs because yeah. you know it would just look it would start looking quite odd yeah you know as you get older and older more to, than it normally yeah and it's like you know and that wasn't in me so I just like it took me a while just to let it all just sort of drain out and then go like oh what what am I now and what do I find funny now what yeah. do I find what do I find is like a humorous kind of world now and to me that was kind of like people who are sort of the idea of people who are in bands who do the same thing forever and ever and ever and they hang on to their youthful persona yeah I think that's quite funny but I also find that incredibly sad but I also think the idea of like someone not giving up is quite funny and quite interesting as well because there's no reason for me to still be doing this you know what I mean like it's not as if there's 10,000 people waiting for every release it's a very selfish pursuit in my mind, yeah. but I love doing it. But I have to know what it is that I'm trying to chase with it. And it started to become apparent to me that the idea of just aging out of the bracket that you should be playing in a, a small band, to me, just seemed like a great place to play around in. Yeah. And also, like, Adult Fantasy, the whole idea of that was like, also thinking what if I never moved out of the suburbs what if I never went to the city and what if I never sort of you know 
this works because I worked for the government for years. It's like, what if I just did that life? Like, who would I be? Who, you know, like, where would have I ended up? So it was like a mixing of all those kind of ideas, playing around with the fact that I'm uh, a, you know, a living icon, living legend. Yeah, yeah. Because I've just been, I've been doing this for a long time, and most people that I grew up with. Have, Long dropped it, yeah. you know. Unless all oh, they're super successful, yeah. I don't know. I find that to me that seems super exciting because it's like, well, I'm I'm kind of in not uncharted territory because there's still heaps of people doing having long careers who aren't very successful. Yeah, I know. To me, that just seems endlessly interesting and exciting. Don't really know why, but that's where everything, all the ideas come from now. And just be, and that it took me a while to find a natural position that I don't have to think about. Yeah. Because I would, I was trying to impose ideas onto what I was doing, and it was just no good. Yeah. It just sounded forced. And then like trying to think what like people might want to hear, and you're like, I'm not that kind of musician. Yeah. That is not my strength. Yeah. My strength is just doing something that's completely, almost isolatingly, myself. Than dealing with the consequences of it, you know. So yeah, I don't know. I'm just hanging on for dear life. That's <laughs> in a short way. Well, have you been surprised by this like new kind of cult following that this one's gotten over the last couple of years? Like you know, doing things like worst and like uh, doing things like uh, like Frank's bands and stuff like that, where there's just like this whole new wave of, of bands and stuff like that, and. You know, you're the kind of soul concert through the whole thing where it's just like these people that would have never seen you before have no context outside of outside of this, don't know about Taste of Amos or any of that stuff. Yeah. They're just coming in on this moment and know you for this stuff. Yeah, it's the best. Yeah. So, because that, that's all you want. You want to be recognized for what you're doing at the time. Yeah. And when, like, sort of young kids were kind of getting into it, like, because, like, I just went... I didn't hide who I was. Like, I wasn't trying to be anything that I'm not. Yeah. So I was like, all right, well, you know, if you just act within your own parameters that you're comfortable in, hopefully that translates, and it kind of did. That's me, you know, making fun of myself and stuff with, like, boys' night and a couple of drinks. It's, like, yeah. moderate living, you know? It's, yeah, like, sure. the least exciting yeah. realm to play in. Yeah. And, that's, and people get fucking mental for those people, And people love it, you know? Yeah. Because I find that stuff really funny. I'm not sure why, but I just find it really entertaining. And it does seem to translate to some degree. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's really nice, though. Like, I just played a show in Melbourne for Changes Festival for Ice is Nice there were a bunch of people there who hadn't hadn't seen me and then they're like every couple of years there's just like a little wave of people like going oh fuck this is like my favourite thing I've you know just discovered it and that's the best if that happens once every couple of years with three people that's enough if you want to get rid of me never tell me I'm doing well (laughs) I mean anyone as soon as I get one person encouraging me I'm like it's two more years in this. <laughs> so it's not my fault. We're back, baby. We're back, baby. <laughs> but, uh, I'm a very easily pleased person, I guess. Yeah. But I, I know I love it. And I, I feel like I'm a lot more comfortable in it now than I have been in a long time. Because, like, I'm not worried about being the old guy on stage. I want to be the old guy on stage. Yeah. So that's, to me, that's the, that's the right playing field. You know? It has been quiet for the last... 
couple of years, though. Like, uh, yeah, obviously, you know, uh, and uh, yeah, stuff like that. Mm. It's like, uh, you know, kind of really, really leaned into that normcore character. Oh, man. <laughs> I went a bit far with it. Yeah. I, I, be- I, be- I became a dad. Yeah. <laughs> oh, fuck. Is this a bit new one? <laughs> Who knows? Who knows where it ends? But, yeah, like... Was it was it ever kind of in the in the back of your mind that you would come back to it, or were you ever thinking it's just like, oh, I can I can probably hang this up pretty safely at this point? Oh no, I I've, I don't think I'll ever. I've never thought about hanging it up because there's nothing to hang up. Yeah, you know, I just walk out the yeah, house absolutely. and I play a show, you know. So it's like I had this album done, and I I really I love it, and I'm really happy with it. Well, like a bunch of it done, so I always knew I was going to put that out. I just didn't know if I was going to put it out and push it or just put it out and let it drift. I don't know, like, the whole concept of it and the way that it all came together, it feels... I'm super proud of it. So I'm, like, kind of, like, excited to play shows and stuff for it again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's probably as deep as I've thought about it, really, like... And to me, it doesn't feel like long at all. Yeah. Like, time is a strange thing. It really is. <laughs> and I'm just like, oh, yeah, I'll just do this now. And I don't think that I've gone anywhere because yeah. I haven't. Yeah. You know, I'm still I'm still uh, hanging out with myself every day and we're just having a great time, you know? <laughs> it's, when, it's when you lose that sense of self-perspective where it's just like, where have you been? It's just yeah. like... Here. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, no, oh yeah, yeah, yeah I right, right. The house. Yeah, yeah, that. Yeah, I lived on Instagram for a while. Yeah. I became the, I became a coffee guy for a while. Yeah. So. How did that come about? I don't know. When I moved to Melbourne, I just went all right. Coffee capital. I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm gonna start reviewing coffee, and you then can't I'm like, beat him, Jordan, yeah. Right? And then I just started reviewing all the coffees I would buy from different places, and then yeah, I know people really liked it. Crazy. But then I just got to a point. I'm like. Alright, I think that's done. Yeah. <laughs> but I do have a coffee sponsor for this tour. That's good. Yeah. That's, a, that's something. My favourite coffee place, too. Oh, hell yeah. I approached them and they're just like, yeah, sure. I'm like, that's the fucking best. Yeah. Everyday coffee in Melbourne. So there you go. But, um. Checks in the mail. Checks in the mail. We might get one free bag of coffee out of it. Woo! <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Life baby. at the top, baby. Yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's fun. I love it. That's all you can ask for, really, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, that's it. And I think, you know, the only... Going back on the thing about hanging it up, I've always just said I will just stop doing it when it's not fun or I don't believe it. When I feel like... Because for a while there I was worried I was just going to become a parody of myself. Yeah. Because you see bands that kind of do that. They churn on the same thing, especially when it's something silly like, you know, what I do. Some, yeah. If you sit on it for too long, then you become it. And then that's a bit sad. But I think what I'm doing now is pretty honest to myself. It's like, this is my Bob Dylan period. Yeah. You know? But Bob Dylan's full of shit, so... I think that's a really good uh, point of reference. Totally. You know, because I think um, we're both geniuses and... You're both born-again Christians. Both born-again Christians. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, voices are shot to shit. Yeah, voices are shot to shit. And uh, we're both playing a character. Yeah. But, but, but we think it's real, but when we don't know. And you both had sex with Joe Mayer. Yeah, at the same time. <laughs> he should go to jail for that. I was too young. But <laughs> I knew what I was in for, so it didn't matter. Christ. Oh, dear fucking All right, mate, we will wrap it up here, but before we do that, that's this is all of my guests. Now it's your turn. Excellent. I want to know. I do. Well, I want to know oh. about the best and the worst shows 
that you have ever played. Oh, well, I already went into the Duran Duran one. Yeah. Which is the best and the worst show I've ever played. Yeah. At the same time. Just because it was, yeah, like, first gig... Well, if I'm going to put it down to one, it's the first gig I played with them in Brisbane Entertainment Centre. Mm-hmm. We got put on the bill because uh, I think Lotel pulled out. Oh, classic! That's putting the date on it. Yeah, it was like 2004 wow. or five yeah. or something. They 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 went off looking for someone. I can't remember who it was. Ella Brandy. I think yeah, they were for. <laughs> yeah. I think they found her. Uh, that's hopefully, what, that's why we've never heard of them again. Yeah. But I think they broke up or something. Yeah. So we got put on the bill the night before. I think Matt Reiki, you know Matt Reiki? Oh, yeah. Like, Unbelievably Bad magazine and stuff. Oh, sure. A, a champion among men. But he, I think he said to whoever the booking agency was, oh, it's like Duran Duran 80s, get spot. Because, you know, there was no one else doing any kind of 80s kind of stuff yeah, sure. at that time. And they went, yep, sure. And put me on. I flew to Brisbane the next day, and I don't think anyone knew what they were in for. So, like, you know, it's Duran Duran. There's, like, parents and kids there and people who go out once a year for their big show and I got come out and I think we started with fu- a song called Fuck Yeah and it's just me just saying fuck yeah so, talking about dancing around my undies and stuff and then yeah then like a guy came up and said oh we've been getting complaints we have to pull you off stage so we probably got four songs out and then I think I just went fuck it we just played another and they pulled our sound and then, yeah, I was getting in trouble because of, like, the towels and stuff. So we walked... When we walked in, we had, like, this huge platter of food and drinks and incredible rider. Yeah. And looked after, and then after the gig, no one would look at us. The road crew wouldn't talk to us. It was dark as shit. And so we went, all right, that didn't go so well. <clears throat> then we flew to Melbourne for the show the next night. And then we were put into... They said, oh, this is where you get changed. So in Brisbane, like our dressing room was as big as this pub. It was ridiculous. Then at the Metro in Melbourne was like the closet where they have all the mains and cables plugged in for the stage. And they had a six-pack of Tui's pills warm on the floor. I mean, that's your room. And they went, that's... You can go there on the stage and then go. I was like, all right, that's cool. So we go out and play... There's people screaming at us. Because, like, me and Andy, like, he's playing guitar and I'm in my shorts and I'm pretty, being pretty confronting. And when people hate me, I kind of really engage. And so people are, like, saying terrible things and I'm going back at them and it got pretty heated. And then, yeah, then we played Sydney and I had my backing dancers and had uh, John Boy, John Gardner, do our sound. And the guy who was doing our sound in Melbourne... Like, wouldn't turn us up and kind of had the backing track half muted. Then John Boy's quite respected in those circles, so they saw him like, oh, you know this guy? And he's like, yeah, I did recorded this record. So he did the sound, I had the dances. That show was great. Yeah, it was a fucking nightmare, and it was the best experience of my life. Such a trip. Yeah, just hate messages. Oh, man, it was so good. Jeremy Neal was at the Brisbane one. Because really? I remember there were a couple of kids standing on chairs screaming at the people who were screaming at us, yeah. like kind of like having this back and forth. And I think one of those kids might have been Jeremy Neal when he was like 14. Bless his heart. Like a big Spud fan. What a beautiful boy. Yeah. And so when I found out that he was at that show, I was like, 
finally, like, it, it actually happened. Yeah. Because I, I got to a point, I'm like, I'm not sure if this ever happened. Yeah. <laughs> it's too weird. You verified there was at least one other person who was there. Yeah, so that's, yeah, my best and worst experience. Fucking <laughs> amazing. Yeah. It's fun. You have a new album out. I do. It's, is it out right now? Uh, it depends on when this comes out. But July 19th. It'll definitely be out. Okay, cool. So July 19th, Adult Fantasy. There's songs about being a dad and losing your son to the city. There's songs about visiting your wife's grave and getting an ice cream on the way home. Uh, with guest, uh, guest solos from people such as Jason Lytle of Granddaddy. Oh, wow. Henry Rollins. Ooh. Ariel Pink. Doug Lassenhop from Tim and Eric. Um, DJ Doug Pound. Uh, Stella Mosgawa from Warpaint. Uh, Saya. Andy Clockwise. Conrad from Rich in Your Mind. Richard from Rich in Your Mind. Uh, it's, I think, 34 solos. The last song goes for... You didn't even get to Richard in Your Mind. You were in yeah. Richard in Your Mind for fucking years. Yeah, I did, like, a bunch of their records. Recorded their... Or didn't record, I produced kind of... Post-produced the records, mix them and stuff. Yeah. We'll have to get you back for a part two. Yeah, oh, mate, I've get into been around else. all the videos. Yeah. <laughs> because I yeah, st- you make your own fucking videos too, Jesus yeah. Christ. I sort of have done that for a job since like 2010. Yeah, yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty weird. <laughs> I think, I, well, that's also why I think I, I slowed down on Spod. Yeah. Because that was my creative outlet, you yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, But uh, I'm kind of over that now, so I want to get back into it. I'm doing videos for myself. Bands I really like and my own music I'll see how I, well I've never done a, a video for a band I don't like actually so that's, that's a plus so I'm doing I'm doing the same shit yeah. <laughs> I'm not, I'm, in retrospect yeah. I'm making a loud proclamation that I'm gonna keep living exactly how I have been keep on living Brett yeah. Brett thank you so much for your time oh, thank you it. you're a gem I love you I'm David Gentile all my friends